athletes. Take your mark, get set, it's time for the Addict Athlete Podcast. Everybody, Coach Blue here with a co-host and extraordinaire, our athletic director, Marissa Robinson. Say hi. Hi, happy to be here. It's good to be uh, on the air and being able to help you guys in your addiction recovery process. Hope this is working for you. Please download these podcasts, share them with friends and family that might be struggling. It's a good resource for them to use and to go back and gain a little bit more knowledge on what addiction is, how you can overcome it and heal from it. Yeah, I think we have a lot of information that helps the person in recovery, family members, or somebody that isn't even related. It There's a lot of good information for just life and challenges yeah. in life. And, you know, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear how these are helping. Absolutely. So, athletes, before we get rocking and rolling on today's topic, I want to remind you that our online store for our athletic gear is up and running. It's our website, addict2athlete.org. You can also find a link to our online family support group. We've we've decided to help the family at large. You've noticed yep. a few things as you've been navigating social media. What have you noticed that like we really need to dive into on that yeah. family meeting? So there's so much information on how to get your loved one treatment and help. And then there's horrible sharks out there that like, you know, attack and try to get your money that way. But I think the person that gets hurt the most on the sidelines are those family members. They mm-hmm. just give and give and give and give, and they're just left just tired and used and abused, and they don't know where to go and where to turn. And I just think that we need to do more for yeah. some of those family members, those cheerleaders we talk about. And so we're starting a family support group. Yeah, and athletes and listeners, we've, uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit and have actually gained some funding for this. So we have some uh, limited spots available. If you don't have the financial funds, mm-hmm. right now we have a special offer for $50 a month, which is four groups per month. Yep. But uh, for anyone that needs this, we have some limited spots available. So if you jump on and, and email myself or uh, Marissa through our website, we can get you connected on there to jump on for free for for a couple months because we've got some resources to help you so don't let the financial part be uh, a a push away right yeah and uh you know just as our community resource activities we wanted to let you know that uh in november team addict athlete participated in the remy turkey trot Mm -hmm. over there in uh what was the alpine american fork american fork alpine area and uh this was a special little run it was one of our first heavy-duty snowfall events, right? Yeah, on it was Thanksgiving awesome. Day. But this was for a, a young man who had who had cancer, correct? I think it's a brain tumor, and he um, just started chemo that day, or, mm-hmm. or pretty close to that day. And the this turkey trot picks a eligible person that needs a lot of help every year, and this was the choice this year for this little five-year-old boy. And they were able to raise that day over $11,000. That's amazing. It's incredible. So that's what happens when uh, you get all the troops out there to help, you know, support this this kind of stuff. And for all the athletes and uh, those who participated, addicted or addicts fighting back mm-hmm. and um, um, our due treatment. Yeah. yeah, they were out there. Uh, thanks for coming out because I know that money certainly is going to help that little family. So what a great way to give back. Yep. For we sure. also want you to stay uh, close to our website so you can keep an eye on our social media content because mm-hmm. we're doing tons of things. But we have our Project Elf. Addict yeah. Athlete participates in this every year. And this is one of those side things I never thought would happen. How cool is this Project Elf? And, and how many kids are we doing this year for Sub for Santa? Yeah. So this year we have 14 families who have needed help and assistance. All, um, I think every single one of them are in a recovery. 
um, and they are just struggling to get by. A lot of times new into recovery, you haven't learned how to budget or you've lost so much that it's hard to get caught up. And sadly, like I said, family members, those little kids suffer. So addict athlete steps in and does what we can to help. So we have 14 families this year, a total of 40 children that Mm. we are helping. Um, we will be doing our wrapping day this next coming Monday, December 16th and meeting with the parents and helping them wrap their gifts and, and see what the, the community and what our what our team has done to help support them through this holiday season. Yeah. So thank you for all the donations, specifically those that were just rendered on giving Tuesday last week. We we are grateful for everyone who's contributed. It helps addict to athlete continue to do things like this. And, uh, there's still availability to donate whenever you have the ability. Um, you can follow those through our website, uh, addictoathlete.org. But thanks to all those who've donated, you will definitely make a huge impact on those, of those kids oh, absolutely. that uh, really needed that support. So thank you. But without further ado, I think we get into today's topic. We touched a little bit on it, but you and I have been noticing through social media and through some of the things that we've noticed um, comment-wise mm-hmm. that we still don't really know how to deal with a drug-addicted family member or loved one. There's yeah. still a lot of questions out there. And uh, I say this quite frequently, and I, I'll stand behind it. We are so lucky in Utah because everyone's competing for like for like, you know, service. We have so many programs that pop up. It's like one a week now, you know, that are popping up out of nowhere. And uh, and it could cause jealousy in some eyes. But to me, I look at it with open arms and a huge heart because I'm like, wow, this is how many people are feeling the need to get active. And uh, through that principle and through those concepts, I start noticing that um, one thing that kind of lacks is what about the residuals? What about the families? We have a lot of stuff for the people in active addiction Mm -hmm. themselves. But what about... What about building that home team that, you yeah. know, to gain that home court advantage? We're going to talk a little bit about uh, that today, but start us off. Let's talk a little bit about what you've noticed is the trend on social media. You noticed about two or three key factors, I think, that kind of uh, stand yeah. out to me. One of which was the gender gap, the gender bias. Yeah, there's so many females um, that are non-abusers that have a spouse or a boyfriend or a significant other or a loved one or a son that just, you know, so lost. And, and I don't know if it's just the nurturing, you know, key in women that they're not just easy to just write them off. And so they reach out and there are so many great online support groups, um, for people that, you know, can kind of help give you an, somebody to feel like somebody else is in your corner, you know, because, being on the sidelines, it's it's heartbreaking to watch your loved one out there on that field of battle and just taking it every single time and just hit, hit, and they're just going down and feeling lost. What do I do? How do I do it? You know, how do I help but not enable? How do I love? And, you know, is tough love correct? Does that help? Does it not mm-hmm. help? There's a lot of new trends and topics and research about that as yeah. well. Um but they just don't know a lot and and we yeah. need to do more to give that information. What I've noticed is that when when we get to a roadblock in, in understanding or in the topic itself on how do you help, most frequently I've seen people respond and just kick them out, mm-hmm. just kick them out to be done. Easier said than done, right? Absolutely. I mean, you got to be careful with that, I think, because... You know, we're not that person. And yeah. to say that would work for some and maybe not for others, I think is, is very correct, very yeah. true. But we got to be careful on the advice that we give because there are some that are so desperate. They, they will take that as gospel mm-hmm. and then completely screw it up. 
Yeah. So we got to be careful. So these are just some stuff that uh, and topics and pointers that we want to kind of you know enlighten you with, because with everything, there more research and more education needs to come about. And uh, again, if you find yourself in this situation, reach out. You yeah. know, Teamatics Athlete can help guide you, support you, move you to a direction where you can find this help. Um, but uh, we want to. I think one thing to remember too is everybody is individual. Every addict is individual and every family member. And so it's really hard to say that this is what you do every single time. It's doctrine. Everyone does it and you have to do it. And it's the only way to help. Mm -hmm. Every situation is different and has different dynamics. So even as we talk today and we give advice or ideas, remember that you need to answer that yourself everything's different and like blue said we're here to help if you want to contact us and give us your situation it's sometimes better if we have that backstory to be able to answer you know because there's not just the addiction some people have the dual diagnosis and have the mental health and the illness behind it that needs some different ways to navigate it and you know be open that you may have to even change your game plan partway through that there aren't and that's, I think, what makes it so difficult. There's not really black and white ways of doing things. Yeah. Um, so we're going to share some really good ideas and things that we've noticed and some trends that we noticed really help. But remember, everybody is everybody's on their own. And, yeah. you know, make make the decision of what's best for you and what you know is best in your heart and, you know, following your gut feeling. Yeah. Well, and right off the gate, as, as we line up and, and take that, that starting time, we got to make sure that you understand that the very first thing you should do if you have a loved one that's struggling with addiction is to educate yourself about the addiction, yeah. okay? Because we all get into the situation we want to be these armchair coaches mm-hmm. and like, you know, coach from the armchair, but you've got to educate yourself and it's not just by Googling it. Like seriously, get in, talk to professionals, get involved yeah. on some good internet searching, um, realize that you're going to find so many like counterproductive sites too that will say, hey, one way to solve the opiate epidemic if your loved one's on opiates is to have them start smoking weed. Yeah. No, like there's so many outlets and things. You've got to be able to spend the time and the energy to seriously research it. That's one that I think kind of falls to the wayside a lot. Yeah. Most people don't want to talk to professionals because that means they have to talk about the problem. They think that they are a problem and that that's weakness. Mm -hmm. And truly there's so much information on the internet. You can be able to educate yourself so much about heroin, about, you know, what it looks like, what it smells like, you know, what, you know, if you're wondering if my child's using and you're noticing certain things, but you're not sure what that means, Google it. Yeah. Um, in most cases, you're going to find the right answers right there online. Yeah, you want to focus on information from sites with medical or or scientific orientation, mm-hmm. right? You want to look for trustworthy sites. Specifically, I've noticed university forums, ones that don't have a, a biased opinion on, on either side, yeah. but just give the information and the content. I think yeah. that's beautiful. That may not be backed up by some you know, medication and mm-hmm. some pharmaceutical company. Yeah. Yeah. Because learning about the characteristics of your loved one's addiction can really help you understand what to expect. Because remember, you're just at the starting line right now. So it can provide guidance on how to address the situation. Because if you're a parent of a, of a, you know, 18 year and younger minor leaguer that you're mm-hmm. suspecting is using, this is something I've noticed from the old playbook of coach blue. They're going to be using on average for two years before you ever realize they have a problem. Yep. That's a crazy thing when you think about it because we know our kids so well, right? Yeah. Last week we just had a, uh, a podcast with Savannah yeah. and I was blown away. But like I said on there, Savannah, I know you have secrets 
that I don't need to know about right now. Yeah. But you guys, I don't, I don't understand. Even the best parents that know everything about their kid, there's going to be secrets. So on mm-hmm. average, two years. Why do you think it takes about two years on average for a parent to, to really see it? Well, I think that there's so many ways they can do things outside of the home. I mean, it's a natural progression that children begin spending more time away from home with friends, doing other things, and it takes a while for... Grades start to slip, and they always have a great excuse on why, right? Mm -hmm. And then they bring their friends over, and they kind of are like, you know, hiding and, you know, slippery and all that stuff. And so... If you found yourself in that situation, yeah. congratulations, you're on the average. And it's not that you're a bad parent. It's no. just that, you guys, these kids are good. They're sneaky. I they mean, really they are. know that they shouldn't be doing something and they know how and well how to hide it. Yeah. And like you say, it, it, it isn't until you see some of those other fallback behavior things adding up that you start noticing. Yeah. You know? Well, you, and that's the thing, right? With youth, that's the way. Even with adults, mm-hmm. I was talking to a, a, an individual a couple of weeks ago who, who was saying to me that uh, they didn't really think that the individual that they loved, you know, spouse hanging out in the bathroom for two plus hours mm-hmm. was really a bad thing until they started realizing that not everybody does that. Yeah. What takes two hours to do in a bathroom, right? Yeah. And uh, either they got some really bad digestion or yeah. something else has happened. Well, and that's it. They're going to say that that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, right at first you're going to be like, what? what's wrong? Are you okay? And, yeah, they're going to have excuse after excuse. But if it's continually, no, people don't spend that much time in the bathroom. Yeah. There's sign number one. Absolutely. If there's a bag that they're carrying with them everywhere, they won't let it go. Right. It's never left on the side. There's... There's a red flag. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, and, and then I notice in those situations that you're educating yourself, you start getting these these warning signs that start popping up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a concept out there that uh, I really am really fascinated by because I didn't realize it until I saw it firsthand. Mm-hmm. And that's that concept and principle of gaslighting. Oh, yeah. That's a big one, I think, in addiction, especially as mm-hmm. you're starting to understand the complexities of it. Gaslighting, where it's like you truly believe that it's your fault, that your loved one's addiction is your fault because they've been able to convince you of that. And that's all it is, is they've convinced you of it. And then you believed it and it has become your normal for so long that all of a sudden now when you start questioning it, you start questioning your own understanding and and functionality as a human. Well, and to reach out and say, oh, I messed up because it's my fault, that holds people back so much because they believe it was they caused it or, you know, they, if they wouldn't have said this, this, and this, then they, you know, their loved one wouldn't be out using. Yeah. And that's not, that's not the, not case. the case. As you're in this process of learning about your, the, you know, the, the addiction itself, you know, you got to recognize the complexity of addiction because like you said at the very beginning, it's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Addiction is complex. It's widespread and, you know, it can be, you know, really difficult to tackle. So it's tempting to think that the drug user, the addict themselves, they just have poor morals or their, you know, their willpower is something to be left desired, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the underlying problem is that there could be a biological issue. Um, we talked about this with, uh, with a doctor you know, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago on addiction in the brain. Um, it's a good podcast to go back and listen to yeah. after this one because it's going to help you understand where that biological factor kind of starts to take hold. And so, you know, drug abuse and addiction is so widespread um, that uh, they say that people that get into into addiction in their teens are more likely to need long-term sobriety services and treatment services 
um, than if you are to start actively using after that. So family complexity from the youth growing up, it's a big indicator. So when you're educating yourself on addiction, you're also educating yourself about your spouse's history. There's a lot of things mm-hmm. that happen where we fall in love, you know, we, we're blind, we have these masks on, right? Yeah, we're think falling in love. everything's great. Mm-hmm. You get married, the mask comes off, and you're like, ooh, what did I get here? And yeah. eventually you'll fall out of love. We talk about this before, too. Um, that process of falling out of love can be devastating because yeah. you're always trying to get back to falling in love stage when you first met that individual, mm-hmm. and you remember the good stuff. So it's a little harder to kind of say, wow, you know, I was unprepared. I didn't know this kind of stuff. Um, and I don't want to give up on this person because I love them. But remember, when you're dealing with this stuff and the masks are off, you're literally falling out of love. Yeah. So it takes a little bit of courage, too, to kind of say, am I willing to stick through this? Yeah, I think a lot of people, I've heard many people say, oh, they just changed after we got married. No, that's <laughs> sometimes. Yes, that that is the case. But I think often it is that falling in love, you are blinded. You are absolutely and fully blinded by those red flags and maybe those signs because of that euphoric feeling of Twitter mm-hmm. patient and love that you don't notice it. And when you finally fall in love, that can't last forever. It's not a long-term thing. All of a sudden they're like, oh, they've just, they've changed. And then if you're, if they didn't change or you're like, I did see red flags, then you just feel dumb. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll just stay. Yeah. No, let's, let's find a way to, and maybe it is to stay, but be educated. Yeah. And when you're educating yourself, you have to learn about treatment models and, and therapeutic interventions. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, athletic director and I, we've worked in many of these programs, yes. adult specifically and exclusive. And I've noticed a few things that I want to share with the listeners so that you make the best decision on what your, your family needs. And I say family because it's not just the individual addict, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's more than that. So as we're looking at this, I want you to understand that there's a few different platforms and modalities, right? Now, the Queen Mary Mother Crown Jewel of the Mall is residential treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done a lot of these biopsychosocials where you've yeah. taken in information. What level do you believe the individual has to be at? Not just insurance company, because they have their own set of rules. Yeah. But like the, the, the degree of use, what would you say would, would necessitate a intervention like you know, residential treatment. So often that is where, you know, there's situations where they've lost jobs, the transportation's low. So there's an issue with employment, transportation, social, they've lost family members and loved ones and pushed them away. They're using on a daily basis. Um, And most medic, you know, most drugs that they're using, they need something to be able to detox off of it. It can't be something they just stop tomorrow and just quit using. So, but there's a difference. There is also what's called detox. And so detox is usually, you know, one to seven days situation. Mm -hmm. And there's facilities out there that just do that. Um, And I think that can really be beneficial for a lot of individuals. I do know that there's a lot of individuals that go into detox and think this is all I can do is three days. I can't be away from, you know, family or whatever else. And so they do Mm -hmm. three days and then two months later they do three days and two months later they do five days. And then, you know, and it's just this repetitive cycle. If you're going to do just detox and then go home, you need to have a very, very strong structured life Mm -hmm. to be able to transition back. 
I think people can do detox and get clean. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. And I've seen people be able to do, you know, residential treatment, which is usually, you know, 30 to 45 day stay, kind of getting that break, that, you know, situation to be able to get out into a safe environment, heal their brain a little bit, you know, have some structure, build up understanding of, you know, some of their core issues and learning daily routines and things like that. But there's so many different options out there. There is. And and listeners, you have to be very cautious when you're going down this path because, you know, one thing that, that really turns my stomach is that treatment at that level um, in a residential form is way expensive. Absolutely. And so the individual going in has to have uh, a little bit more than just a core order, right, to stay mm-hmm. clean. Um, there's got to be that desire because you'll get your hopes up they'll go through and stay clean for the 90 days if that's mm-hmm. the amount the, the insurance company will allow you to hang yeah. out there for. And they'll get out and struggle. Mm-hmm. You've got to have, that's when the throttle needs to be all the way down, full force, full court press, everything, because the investment, the money that goes mm-hmm. into that is astronomical. And it can be very disappointing when you have multiple residential treatment stays. We've heard yeah. parents talk about this and and uh, it, it's kind of heartbreaking because they put so much stock and stewardship in the hope. Yeah. Um, but then when they don't actively engage in it, it's like, well, that was nothing. Yeah. 30 days is going to work. It's so expensive or 45 or 90, but it really does come down to the individual themselves. How fast does that go? Oh, so Quick. fast. So fast. Um, if you have insurance, please utilize it. There's, yeah. you know, research treatment centers. You know, if you can afford that, you know, monthly premium. Yeah get your get your loved one into into treatment that way um in fact one thing right now it's open enrollment until december Mm -hmm. 15th get a hold of an insurance agent find your get your loved one on insurance right now if you think in the next calendar year they may want and step up and say hey i want help you can have there are insurance premiums out there for five dollars a month and you can have your treatment covered yeah you know go for it but you have until the 15th of december and no matter what make sure that you're invested now this is the thing as we talked about this in again the brain addiction podcast Mm -hmm. is you know motivation's only gonna last so long but when the biological factors of withdrawal start kicking in and the psychological factors of withdrawal then that's where the real you know yeah emotional stuff Mm -hmm. is, is so hard Absolutely. And I think any program uh, that you get yourself into on a residential level needs to have a very strong family support system connection, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not going to be here, fix my loved one, and then I'll just stay on the course. You've gone through the battle with them. You've Mm -hmm. seen some things, you've experienced some things, stuff has been said, there's been harm done. Mm -hmm. You've got to take care of yourself too. And I know a lot of times um, spouses and loved ones don't want to get too involved at this level because they're afraid that they're going to be attacked because Mm -hmm. this person now is up here receiving all this therapeutic content. Um, Who knows what's being said in the therapist's office? So, you know, maybe they think I'm the bad one. Yeah. If I go to therapy, I'm just going to be reamed for Mm -hmm. everything I've done or that they worry that they'll be the distraction. You know, Mm -hmm. they need the help. It's for them. I don't want to distract from their progress, but it has to be happening together. Absolutely. After residential treatment, uh, we look at something called outpatient treatment, which is either an intensive or a general. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's just hours and days that qualify for either one of those levels. 
Um, and I love outpatient the most. I think that's where I love seeing people thrive because that's where they live in their life, but then they come into that support system, that group, that mm-hmm. in that session, kind of to return and report on the, the successes and failures. It's like really getting in and going out for battle and then coming back and resuiting up. Yeah. And I love that it's concept. A, it's a great way to like practice every day and then come check in, be able to have some grounding, check with the therapist, check with a group and... And being able to refocus for the next day you go to work or you yeah. go, you know, and yep. the, getting ready for the weekend and yeah. things like that. But I think it it doesn't matter what level of care somebody needs. If somebody's ready to get help, they can get help even without any of those levels of oh, care. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's why I say it's always very individualized. It is. It is. Because even after, you know, a detox situation, a, a residential or an outpatient, you know, this can be done with an individual therapist. This can be mm-hmm. done with a, you know, a family support. I mean, it yeah. really can be, guys. Absolutely. It's just kind of, again, educating yourself enough to find out what level you guys are going to be able to engage in, right? Yeah, and I think it's being able to know and understand. Like, there are amazing treatment centers out there, um, but really it comes down to, like, who the staff are, who the therapist is. If your loved one clicks and connects with a therapist that's really honestly if they really can trust that person that's what they need if they have those good staff so you can have these facilities that cost astronomical amounts of money and if they have therapists or staff that your loved one is just not clicking with it's not going to help at all you know what i mean doesn't matter if they have horses in the pasture or rock climbing walls or amazing saunas or pools right they can just they can go surfing every other weekend and they can go skiing and none of that really mm-hmm. <laughs> really matters you know it's the it's the staff it's the therapy the therapy the therapeutic content and how is your loved one engaging and connecting with it if you're even just looking for outpatient treatment and therapy and you're looking just for a private therapist if there's not a therapist that your loved one's like oh my gosh i like this move on yeah. and even if i know this is hard but even if it's you're saying oh but they're not in network and i don't have insurance won't cover it it's worth it. It's worth it. it. It's worth it to find one that really connects with your loved one. Yeah, absolutely. The investment goes way beyond emotional at that point. It, it's uh, it's a good that's a good rule of thumb to remind people of. I like mm-hmm. you said that. So moving on to method and step two. Um, this is the hard part because once you've educated yourself, now it's time to talk to that loved one. Yeah. And when you have to sit down and have this conversation, it's nine times out of ten, I guarantee it, it's not gonna go well. Yeah. Why do you think getting down to the nitty gritty, opening communication, well, they, they don't want to hear problem. it. They mm-hmm. don't want to hear it. And so it's going to be easy to blame, to shift responsibility, to, to lie, you know, Oh, I'm not, no, I'm not using. How dare you mm-hmm. suggest that I am actively using? Yeah. And then you start, you know, the way that they can gaslight, you start questioning yourself. Maybe they are clean and I'm just seeing things wrong. Exactly. So if you speak up, you got to talk with that family member about your concerns regarding their use, right? You got to try to do this in a way that's non-confrontational, that's supportive and very non-judgmental because that's what they're going to try and latch on to, to start fighting with you. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to teach you a real quick principle here, listeners, and it's an important one because it goes into a bigger construct. And I think that we'll do a whole podcast on communication in and of itself in the future. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of this podcast, I want to teach you about the Queen Mary mother of all responses and communicated styles, and that's fight talk. When you engage 
a family member and you start getting heated or they start getting heated, you've got to check on which style you're using. And more often than not, you're using fight talk. So fight talk, mm-hmm. if you think about it, 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 um, it requires what's called reactive listening. And I like that because what happens is when you're being drilled by someone or you're feeling guilty about something and they confront you, you're automatically going to rise to the occasion and you're going to start fighting back. Mercy, Mercy, you and I have had these these conversations where I'm like, you told me what? And we're fighting back and forth, right? And then we're like, oh, crap, I'm in fight talk. I got to get out of it. Because fight talk has two subcategories, spite, right? Oh, yeah. Spite talk. And I I love that one, right? Um, Which I'm good at. Yeah. Yeah. Or the control (laughs) talk, right? And so it's kind of funny. Oh, I'm good at that too. (laughs) Yeah. So if if you're in control talk and you want to fight or spite someone, I love it because if you think about the principles behind this, if I'm wanting to um, spite, let's say, if I'm wanting to spite the addict Mm -hmm. because I'm pretty sure that uh, I don't have enough courage or even understand the problem big enough to kind of point out the, the exact issues. I'm going to say something like, where were you last night? I noticed you came back and you smelled like alcohol again. Did you go to the bar after work? Yeah. You know, you're, you're just, you're that dad who never comes to any games and everyone else's dads are there, but not you, you know, right? Yeah. And so that guilt trip, that spite talk, just to what does it, it do? Inflame them. It's going to get them mad and angry and all they're going to do, they're not going to hear the message. Mm-mm. They're just, reactively yeah, listening. They're going to reactively listen. They're going to be on the de- defense because they're being attacked. Yeah, and they're going to say because they're they're being attacked. They're going to say, you know, well, it's because you're the world's worst wife and you don't understand what I'm going through and you're so ungrateful. And and then all of a sudden, yeah. the topic switches and you're way you're way, way off the mark off the mark of where you were hoping the conversation was going to yep. go. And so if you're going to fight talk somebody in that control method, right, mm-hmm. is that you start getting into the principle of of uh, instead of like kind of poking them like with spite you're gonna say well there you are again spending all your money on drugs and now we have nothing for rent you are the biggest loser i've ever seen in my life and that's just gonna piss them off because right you're you're wanting to fight now and how can they come back from that they know it's true too yeah so all they're gonna do is try to protect themselves absolutely you know they're scared they're they're mad too and then it just it it just just, collapses communication collapses uh offenses sometimes it ensues in domestic violence yeah right and so the best way to do this is to check your emotions at the door. We don't want a clear winner and a clear loser here. We want that mutual kind of communicative combat to go on, right? Yeah. We want it to be equal. And so what I love to do is divert them to search talk. And this is a little harder because you've got to understand that more often than not, you're going to have to ask between five to eight open-ended search talk questions before mm. they'll budge. Yeah. Right. And so you can't give up after the first or second one doesn't you know, get the response you want yeah. because uh, that's a breakdown in communication. And so you got to focus on your feelings rather than making the accusations and kind of where you're sitting at. Yeah. Do you want help or do you want out? Right. Yeah. And, and I think you need to make that decision. Oh, absolutely. And some of it's just you being able to say, you know, the way I'm living, I don't like how I feel. I don't like, you know. I'm scared all the time. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I get distracted about you and what you're doing and how you're doing rather than focusing on work or the other kids or whatever else you have in your life and being able to put it on yourself. Yeah. Well, and like this, right? You don't, and on that premise, I'm so glad you brought that up. 
you don't get into it by saying, I can't live like this anymore. You know, I can't be the one that does this or I can't. I mean, when we use those I can't, mm-hmm. it's kind of blame shifting. Be accountable for how you feel. Be accountable yeah. for your emotions. Say things that are a little bit more powerful in, in motion by saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I love you, but I'm not going to love you to death. Like those yeah. kind of things. Because then you kind of take the emotion out of it. And it really is about you, but it's about them. Yeah. You know, and these are hard decisions to make as you're talking with your loved one about what's coming next. You know, this is that, you know, if you can get into a situation where we can get help or get some, some, you know, some input from professionals and stuff, um, we're going to make it. But if not, our relationship is going to change. Yeah. Right. Some of the intervention type questions. Yeah. Yeah. The good intervention questions, mm-hmm. not the, not the ones that yeah. you see on TV. Good grief. <laughs> you know, and so you got to tell your loved ones how their behavior, their goals and their attitudes have changed since you started, they started using. I think that's yeah. a big one. Like we had hopes and dreams of doing this and I still think it's possible, but not if you're still using and not if you're using this, you know, yeah. you have friends, you've seen people, Marissa, who have never really got into this, but have had these struggles in relationships that have lasted decades yeah and it's in and out of jail and it's broken promises at what point and i love saying this about about our relationship and i think one of the reasons why is because well one of the reasons why i've been able to establish 20 plus years of sobriety Mm -hmm. is because of you and it's not because i couldn't sneak around and go get high and whatnot i have enough respect for you that i don't even want that life anymore Mm -hmm. but the coolest thing about it is is you don't need me that sounds so weird, doesn't it? Yeah. You want to be with me, but you don't need me. Because if I did something completely wacky or stupid, what could you do? Well, I can do whatever I want, what I need. Anything you want, anything you need. You know, so I'm not being held to this relationship because of, you know, the need to be with someone or the need that you financially, you know, that you, financially or, mm-hmm. that you're going to provide or that you're going to do all these other things. And so I think that you know, it's put you in a position where, yeah, if you want to be here, you want to be here and you're going to choose to be here by, you know, doing what I need to do. Doing, yeah. What I, yeah. Doing absolutely. what you need to do to step up and to do, you know, participate in life. And, you know, when there's a loved one using and they're just causing problem after problem, if they know that you're still going to be there all the time, it doesn't matter what they do. In some ways, that's so bad, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where, you know, I think we that to, little bit of enabling yeah, starts that coming enabling in. comes in that mom and dad or, or, you know, my wife will always take me back. She will always take me back. And there's so, a difference between enabling and helping. Right. And I oh, think that's absolutely. a big thing that we have to understand is what is the difference between finding yourself becoming an enabler versus that supportive or helping role? Yeah. So a few things that I have researched and found myself, um, on enabling, those are times where you're lying to others and yourself about your addict's behavior. Yeah. So, lying to yourself. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But if you're also lying to others, trying to like, you don't want anyone else to see them as the person they are, then you might be protecting them from something that they, a consequence that they need to have. Yeah, you're taking away from their experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another one is putting the addict's needs before your own. And this is so hard because they, when you love somebody Hmm. like, yeah. And you know that they're struggling. I've seen this so many times. It's so hard not to just, you know, 
fly in and pick them up, Yeah, you know, because they're having such a hard time. But if you're putting all of them before you or someone else, you know, other people in your life, if you're putting your spouse before your children because they keep using and you keep picking them up and yeah. your children are missing out, there's a problem. Yep. There's a problem. Uh, another enabling behavior is bailing the addict out of messes that they have created. So sometimes that's literally yeah. bailing them out of jail. Yeah. If they have a consequence of going to jail, there's a reason for it. And they need to stay there. If they, you know, have other issues and problems that you're keep picking up the pieces to. And I know a lot of times people I've heard, you know, will say, mostly if they have maybe a child who's still under 18, well, I have to, if I don't fix this, this will ruin their life forever, Mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes it's those things that they have to learn and go through that will fix their life forever. Exactly. You know, um, I think you guys touched on this a little bit when you talked with the, um, the chief of police, you know, there are different services that are open to people when they get arrested, when they get into the system, because then it's open to a lot more resources for help and, you know, classes and treatment and lots of different things that you Mm -hmm. may not be able to know or even have any idea or the financial ability to help with. So if you're trying to pick them up and save them from it, that may be what they need to find another alternative. So that's one of them. I I really do like those principles too. I think that's an amazing thing because I think that we kind of overlook that specifically when we're putting others in front of ourselves. Like you can't do that. You have to be higher Mm -hmm. on your priority list. Yeah. You have to be number one. Mm -hmm. The next one is giving the addict money. Um, Never, you know, if there's something they need, you go buy it. If they need food, you go buy it and you bring them food. If they, you know, I don't yeah. know. No, it's yeah. big. It's big. I'm trying yeah. to think of some if, other. If they have a ticket and you're like, okay, I can help you with this, right? Yeah. Don't give them the money to go pay their ticket. No, no, yeah. no, no. Absolutely. Yeah. It, Let them do some work for you and then you go with them to the courthouse to pay off the ticket. Don't give them the cash. Well, and the thing that you have to understand too, and I know that this, you know, this, this kind of borders on that tough love and we're going to get to that in a little bit. And I don't like that principle, but when you say no to someone like that, it's okay. You know, remember you are talking to and you're talking about the most amazing problem solvers yeah under the you know the the face of the sun i mean these mm-hmm. people i i mean you think about the principle of turning an addict into an athlete and, and mm-hmm. flip flopping that across you know, yeah. the same attributes that you used to be a world class addict and you're now using to be a world class athlete yeah the same thing holds true for an addict turning one that's you know that wants to be sober you flip the bad to the good there's nothing they can't They are the most resourceful people in the whole world. So when you even think that, oh, if I do this, they won't be able to get A, B, and C. Oh, whatever. If there's something they want, they get it. And you know that. Yeah, these are people that that have gotten high despite not having any money, funds, transportation. They found a way. They have the resources. So, I mean, if they really want that kind of stuff, they can do it. That's why sobriety, I know, is is possible for these folks. Because if you put the same energy, it's not going to be easy. Just Mm -hmm. like it's, you know. Like we say this quite often. If I say, hey, you know, person in recovery, if I gave you, you know, 10 seconds to go outside and make your life as miserable as possible, could you do it? And they're like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, I wouldn't even need 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. But I say, well, could you go out there and make your life as amazing as possible in 10 seconds? They're like, I don't know. Uh, 
Maybe. The same principles apply. It's same just thing. the different outcomes. Yeah. So I love that principle. Yeah. Carry on. The next one is parenting the addict and feeling resentful about it. Yeah. So a lot of times, yeah, you start just becoming the parent of these adult children or your adult spouse and mm-hmm. happens so much. try to take care of them. And then you start getting resentful and angry because you have to take care of them. You have to do this. And that's never going to help a relationship. First off, it's going to tell the addict that they're not capable. And what message does that send? I mean, yeah. that they can't get clean, that they can't be successful. Um, but it also just leaves that everything has to be dependent upon you. You are the only one that can fix it, everything. Mm-hmm. And then you're losing here, there and everywhere in your life. And you, yeah, it's easy to become resentful from that. So you cannot just parent all of them. No. Um, like another one. one is doing things for the addict that they should be doing for themselves. So that's some of the other stuff, you know, it's taking care of their own bills. It's taking care of their chores or, you know, if it's a child, it's taking care of, you know, their schoolwork, their schoolwork, their job that just because they forgot this, that, and the other, there's ways that you can maybe do it with them, you know, to make it, if it's feeling too overwhelming for them, but don't just do it for them. Well, it's that principle. I like that. It's like, you know, I know that when uh, our little guy Boston has dishes, it's going to ruin his week, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to avoid kind of the, the meltdown, what I decided to do is that every time he gets to do the, do the dishes, dad gets to help. Yeah. And it's not to like take away the responsibility, but it's to say, hey, look, let's just do this together and knock it out. And during that time, I'm able to utilize some conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, I slowly start having him do more than me. But just that physical presence, because I know yeah. that he doesn't like doing things like that alone. Yeah. And he gets off track so freaking fast. Yeah. But it's like that little bit of help, you know, now I'm not doing it for him, yeah. but I'm helping him. We used to train our staff this way where if a client uh, was, you know, needing some help or doing yeah. a chore, did not sit there and armchair cowboy them to get it done. It's go over there and join them. Yeah. That's a principle that they had a really hard time wrapping their heads around because it's not my job. Well, yeah. that's part of the champion's challenge. Do it even if it's not your job, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's going like to build that. that relationship. It's going to build that bonding. And then it's going to help them not feel so overwhelmed. Uh So then you flip on the other side. How do you help? Okay. So some of the ways you can help is admitting to yourself that the addiction isn't going to go away on its own. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, being a loved one, you just live in denial. Just hope and hope and pray that things will just stop being how they are, but not understanding that yeah. there's a way to get it different because it and so if you just ignore it yeah it seems that way it seems like well it just kind of came out of nowhere maybe it'll just stop out of nowhere no, <laughs> yeah, no not right doesn't happen another one is putting your needs first getting the support you need if why you do you are, think that's so hard why do you especially like when we see this okay. gender bias that we are seeing yeah. with the ladies who are overwhelmingly like crutching along these yeah. addicted men why is that so hard well, because you look at the two, you think, okay, I'm going to compare myself to my loved one. They are in way worse shape, so they need the help. Yeah. Not recognizing how much it's pulling and weighing you down. You know, so this is the time you go get therapy. You go find a hobby that you love and enjoy, something new. Go do go take an art class that you've always wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Find a way to distract yourself and do some of that self-care. Find a support group to go to. You remember the time that you and I had a little fight or battle years and years and years ago when I was biking and doing way too much. Oh yeah. And I'd, you know, like be having this really rough week and I'd come home and I'd go biking for what seemed like five, six, seven hours <laughs> every Saturday. And I'd come home all chipper and you're like, hey man. 
what the crap, right? Yeah. And I remember at first thinking, how dare you? This is good for me. And, and it's I like, go to work and work yeah. so hard and I need I this I tried time. to climb up on that soapbox and you kicked me off of that so fast. <laughs> and I saw what, I saw you you like really state that case of, I need, so, I I need, need me. me time. Uh-huh. I need yeah. me time. And I remember feeling like so guilty after I, I got it because I was trying to defend myself for the longest time. Yeah. But then I'm like, what, what am I doing? You know, mm-hmm. I talk about it all the time when I was down, you know, Nephi, <laughs> miles away, I needed to be home in an hour to go do uh, the, the wedding reception or something. And I'm like, oh, crap. Oops. Yeah. I'm going to make that one in yeah. time. And I, I just remember that. But you stood up for yourself. And I love that yeah. because it made me, I mean, e- even right down to, to, the, to, the, to the kids when they were babies, just like, you're taking this night, I'm taking that night. Yeah. And it was something so, so feasible. But yeah. I would have never thought of it. But it's also not something that you were just like, oh, okay, I'll stay home. Like it took oh, even yeah. us like some work through and some argument, uh-huh. you know, so to just assume that they're just going to get it, yeah, you know, is Mm-mm. not, it's not, it's not the case. Happen. Not the case. So take the time, find what so you need funny. and get the help you need. Um, and I don't ride anymore. You, you, you burned me off yeah, that, huh? So now I get all the time. The car no, hitting no. me kind of, you know, yeah. like freaking out too. Let's be car, honest. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, another one is letting the addict experience consequences for be- their behavior. A lot of these just go back and forth. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, if they're getting in trouble, if they're get- having a problem, if they're going to jail, then they-, they need to go to jail. Can I introduce a very sensitive, scary thought on that? Yeah. What happens if it's death? I mean, then what? Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is a hard thing. And if you're getting to a point where your loved one is so close to death, mm-hmm. you know, there becomes that point of, I can't force them into change. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting with one of my clients uh, who had a son that was really ad- addicted and she, her biggest fear was walking in and seeing him dead. Mm-hmm. How could it not be? Yeah. Right. Horrible. How could it not be horrible? And she said, she said, coach, there's no way I could handle this. There's no way. And mm-hmm. I said, well, what happens today? You go home, you open the door and he's there. And mm-hmm. she starts to get really teary. I said, what would you do next? She's like, call an ambulance. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, then what? You know, and she said, I'll call my sister. I'm like, good. And then what? And we went through the then what's Mm -hmm. all the way through. And it sounds kind of morbid and grisly, but all the way through the discovery, the police, the Mm -hmm. ambulance, the hospital, right down to the mortuary, right down to the music, the people that would carry him. And it was about an hour conversation at the end of it. I said, see? You could do this. Don't yeah. don't pretend that you can't. I don't want you to have to go through this. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hopefully give him the tools and the invitations to get help. But you could do this. Yeah. And it's hard. It's a hard concept to kind of walk your head through because that's the ultimate scary thing that we don't want. Yeah. But we also have to understand that we have to put ourselves first. And if that means keeping yourself emotionally safe, mm-hmm. That individual should know about it. So that is such a difficult thing to think through. Mm. You know, why would I ever have to think through that? I think often people will say, you know, I'm not given anything I can't handle. Yeah, Yeah, we are. Yeah, it's a a great tackling on a poster. Yeah, yeah, we we, are given things mm -hmm. we can't handle every day. Um, And then it's now what? Now what? You know, it's the bag, it's the fish on Finding Nemo at the end when they're out of the dentist's office in the bay floating in their bags and mm-hmm. they're all tied up and it's, well, now what? Yeah. You didn't think that far ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just, then it's utilizing your support. It's mm-hmm. reaching out to those. I You've, you've shared this before, reaching out to those that, you know, 
have lost a child and how they're working through it. There are people out there. There are support groups for grief and loss. Yeah, yeah. And we've had we have quite a few athletes on this team mm-hmm. that you know, listeners. If you need, we can get you in contact with. I think of Amber Baum. Rewind, you know, our our, our podcast uh-huh. here. Go find love uh, and loss. Love and loss. Yeah, you know, Amber's a great resource. I can think of no better people to talk about this than our own Tyson mm-hmm. and Savannah. Yeah, you know. My number one trauma threshold, what happens if I lose one of my kids? Mm -hmm. And that would shake my sobriety. But I know people that have, and they're still here. Makes a lot of sense. Dawn Christensen, not to addiction, but she lost her her nine year old daughter in a sledding accident. Athlete Judy Barakal. Yeah, yeah, same and, thing. And both of those women have attended and I think facilitated a grief and loss group. Yeah, to be able to give back and to help because they've they've done it and yeah. they've continued to move forward. No, it wasn't easy, but that's what you do is you utilize See, and that. And that's what I love about what Don has done with, with Patia mm-hmm. is that instead of grieving so deeply, you know, she's now able to share that young little spirit with all of us. Every, mm-hmm. every, every August, August we go do this run that she puts together and my gosh, the spirit that's felt there. I, I feel like I know Patia because of yeah. just the spirit that Don and Chris and everybody carry of her. So yeah, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's great. They've every year they've done this 5K and 10K. They've I can't remember the organization, but it's the donor because Patia was able. Yes. They were able to donate organs, and so the funds from that run went back to that organization and that nonprofit. And now the year, I think it was two years ago that she would have graduated from high school. They've started a scholarship. Yeah. So they've give back to the high school kids and being able to help them move on to college. And it's just And on a side note, because we're so passionate about this on this podcast, we will leave a link to donate to that too, because Mm -hmm. they really do need help and support as well. Yeah, they're great. So another thing you can do, it's again, going hand in hand, give the addict love, not money. There's a whole different, you know, understanding that love is not money don't throw money at them thinking that's going to make them feel good or just go away it's a band-aid to a a gaping wound and it's going to make it worse you give them money and all you're going to do is enable that behavior to go on Mm -hmm. and you're going to prolong their rock bottom in most cases um set healthy boundaries for yourself right so what does that mean you know what are healthy boundaries okay boundaries are there to keep me safe yeah, and to keep, self, and to keep the, the game in motion. It's like any boundaries you have either in football, offsides, you've got you know basketball courts. Every game mm-hmm. has boundaries. Why? Because that's where the that's where the play needs to happen. Yeah. So if you don't set those boundaries, and you can you know run up into the stands to catch a ball and then run down into the, yeah. into the end zone, that, that's cheating. That's not fair. Yeah doesn't work stay in balance set boundaries yeah so you have to be able to set those healthy boundaries and what works for you and you have to know what those are you have to ask yourself you know how much can i take how much can i handle and how much am i willing to give and how much where where the where's the line that i'm not willing to cross and in an ideal world these will be established way before you even meet your 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 future spouse Mm-hmm. But more often than not, you'll have to establish them during the, the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a hard thing. But, you know, there, I remember when we were kids and we were like playing some kind of like unorganized game and mm-hmm. we'd kind of make the rules up on a fly. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do that, oh, yeah. right? And sometimes they're going to change. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? Like the time we were playing hide and seek and my friend took off in his dad's car and I'm like, dude, that's a little bit cheating, right? <laughs> we were looking at him for hours. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to set those boundaries up way before the play starts. Yeah. And I think this is the time it's easy for that addict family member to go, oh, you're so mean. You don't love me. You hate me. How do you, how dare that's you? That's spite talk, right? That, yep. They're yep. setting you up. They're setting you up. And Showing love to yourself and them is by having those healthy boundaries. If you are too enmeshed here and there, there's no way you can truly show love for yourself or for them. So tough love, because that's where this comes in, yeah. right? Now, I remember, and I've, man, I've given this advice to people back in the day, which is, mm-hmm. well, it's time to just end it. Yeah. So much easier said than done. And tough love can be done without having you kind of wind up in the guilt hospital. Yeah. What it is, is the principles that Marissa's talking about, these that's your tough love because Mm -hmm. what you're doing now is probably not working. What we've just discussed is the tough love. Mm -hmm. Now I would much rather you feel like, you know, uh, I'm not letting you stay here because you know, you are a drug addict, but it's zero degrees outside snowing and gale force winds. Yeah. That's not tough love. That's stupidity. Yeah. I know that, you know, to each his own, but like, because you read it on a Facebook forum, and yeah. some stranger says tough love doesn't it doesn't equal you then saying get out and then wondering if they're going to be dead frozen out in some you yeah. know alley somewhere and that's where you know this we said this is so individualized you know and you have to be able to follow your heart and listen to yourself and say what, what is too much what yeah. can i handle is it okay we'll give you a warm place to sleep tonight and we're going to take you tomorrow and we're, I'll get you, you can't be here. It's unsafe. We have kids or siblings that don't need to be around this. So I'm going to go take you to a hotel, pay for three nights and you need to figure it out from there, Yeah, you know, but giving them some ideas or even if they're living in your home, like, Hey, I, I know just kicking you out tomorrow isn't going to help. It's not Mm going to be safe, but Hey, I'm going to give you a month to be able to get a job and to try to save up. And I can help you get a place, but you need to start becoming independent. You need to start moving forward. Um, this and is this has to be done me. in conjunction with professionals too, guys. Absolutely. Like, you know, outpatient, you, you know, individual, some professional, because that person can do, I think that the professional, I used to tell my, my clients, parents this all the time. I'd say, let me be, let me be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Let me be the one that says, Hey Mooch, you're like way wearing out your welcome here. Let's get you going. Let's get you motivated. Mm-hmm. That's our job. Let us be the bad guy. You be that person that's like, Oh wow, that sounds like a really hard thing. How are you going to yeah. handle that? Right. We talk yeah. about with the kids all the time with parenting and love and logic, right? Yeah. Wow. That seems really hard. How are you going to do that instead of, Oh wow. You know, here's 150 bucks where like, yeah, let the professionals tear off the band-aids, scrub the wounds, you be there to kind of, you know, coach them through and, and kind of, yeah. you know. And that's where you can get some of that on. help yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's so difficult to set those boundaries. And that's where our family support group comes in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a little plug here, you know, every yeah. Wednesday, you know, it's Zoom media. You can do it right from your tablet, your phone, yeah. um, whatever has internet access. And we talk about these things, these strategics. Yeah. You bring a question, we can talk about it. We can bring that all that to yeah. the table. We have set topics, but also open Q&A. Yeah. And these are where you kind of get like, you know, you know I'm a you know, mental health therapist, addictions counselor. Mm-hmm. You know, you are a recreational therapist. We talk about family recreation so much. Yeah. Reach out to the professionals, you know, get yeah. some advice, you know. Even off that, if you need some advice, you know, let us know. 
but don't do it yourself. Let us be kind of the bad guys. Let us coach them into making movements. Yeah. You cheer them on. Absolutely. Kind of a good concept. I think, and the very last one that I have on my list on the helping is give the addict space to take control of their own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we kind of step away from that parenting and doing everything for them and love them and help you know, push them towards doing that themselves. So they have room to grow. They can't do it, you know, with you following them the whole way. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Well, and, and I see this too. And I think, well, okay, so what does team addict athlete have that's so unique and special? And it really is that team support, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we are athletically based and recreational focused and service oriented, but we really do a lot of, of like that work social support through the social support system. It's the team. Mm-hmm. You go through any chapter in the state of Utah from, you know, our athletes in Uinta all the way down to Washington and St. George. Mm-hmm. These folks are team oriented. They know each other. That support system they can develop to take some of that weight off your hands. Incredible. Yeah. And you see them. They're not hiding out in a room somewhere. They are. You see them. They're on the team. They're running the races. They're serving at the soup line. They're, mm-hmm. you know, participating in Project Elf. They're wrapping presents. They're doing things that you're seeing. And when they do this stuff and they have that support, man, lights come on and great yeah. change can happen. I think one of the cool things about our program too is that we're not exclusive to the addict and those pers- those individuals in recovery. Yeah. We're open to the family and friends. We have family, parents, siblings come alone just on their own you know to be able to learn from each other and utilize each other there's so many groups and situations out there that you're like oh that's just for the addict oh i I can't go i can't you know they they don't let people that struggle with addiction go to that meeting so i can't i'm not allowed no everything is inclusion with us we did it on purpose absolutely we did it on purpose and i'll tell you i know lana wouldn't mind us saying we did this Mm -hmm. for lana because she had you know several family members that were struggling and I remember thinking, why in the world would we keep them separate? We got the mm-hmm. people in recovery here and the loved ones over here. Mm-hmm. What if we brought them together and they learn from each other? Yeah. You know, Lana can now learn from all these people in, 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 in recovery and addiction on what they need. And she can teach, you know, what she does. And on they the can, on the family side, they learn together. We call them muggles, muggles yeah. and athletes, right? Yep. And the muggles, we have almost as many muggles that don't have addictions that listen to this podcast that participate in our meetings oh. because they have a loved one. Sometimes probably more. Yeah, absolutely. Know? So I think, you know, listeners, what you've got today, uh, I hope is a conversation starter for you. Um, I know that there's a lot more we could get into and some, you know, some community Q&A. If you have any questions after listening to this podcast, let us know. Yeah, please email you know? us, leave a leave a review, ask a, a leave a comment, question. Yeah, so Addict to Athlete is is a nonprofit organization. We're not looking to to get money from you. We're not looking to uh, you know to sponsor a uh, mm. specific treatment center. There's lots yeah. of good ones out there. We just want um, to keep this faci- you know this group going so that we can continue to help and support. Absolutely, and so. For some some real good, I guess, instructional stuff, you can always look at our content. We have we have YouTube videos that we put out on specific issues and directed yep. content. Yep. This podcast, we have we have some humor with our TikTok and, yeah. and uh, Instagram stuff because there's some funny things that go on in here too. But more importantly than anything, jump on our website, addicttoathlete.org. Mm-hmm. Reach out to myself. If you want a response back quicker, reach out to Marissa. <laughs> She's, reply she replies faster. Um, but her and I are a team behind uh, this with uh, all of our coaches that we have throughout the state and uh, our athletes who are, who are really making a difference. Um, let us know 
if this is working for you and let mm-hmm. us know how we can help you. Phone numbers, emails can all be found at addictoathlete.org. So listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. You've been well fed this week. want to give a shout out to Radio Ronin for allowing us to be on their platform. Uh, Josh, get, get, get better soon. You know, yeah. Get you back get out back. on the running course. He's wearing that awesome boot. Um, Ankle surgery. Yep. Changa, Changa, Spence, and uh, Chandler, uh, listen to their podcast, Radio Ronin Network. And until next time, athletes, go turn that mess into a message. Mm-hmm.